Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. This is Jawad here as always, and welcome. Welcome to what will be the final episode for this year, for 2021. I'm sure there'll be some of you out there who are like, good riddance. Not to not to me, but to, to the year. Maybe maybe to me as well, you'd be like, oh, good riddance, he's not um, coming back for a while or whatever. I hope not. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, good riddance to, to the year being over. Um, it's that time of year where everyone kind of sits in reflection and remembers what was, what happened. It's been pretty crazy, you know, in, in all respects, not just in the world of motorsport, but personally as well. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have still felt the impacts of the pandemic and everything. And, you know, thinking of uh, everyone out there, all my UK listeners especially, um, with, with Omicron Percy I hate. <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh, but, you know, had to add the Futurama reference in there, um, yeah, re- uh, COVID rearing its head again, and, um, wreaking havoc, uh, with people's plans, and, uh, ho- holiday plans, I should say, you know, for, for this time of year, where usually people come together, and, um, enjoy themselves, whether it's with family and friends, loved ones, so, hopefully it doesn't impact you guys too much, anyway, Yes, so I think I think it was last year or or the year before. I'm not sure uh, that I did season review unscripted. <laughs> so you know, I mean, it's it's I prefer prefer doing it because it's it's a bit more loose. It doesn't need to be. I feel as structured. Not that not that I'm structured anyway with with my podcast, but. You know, I've done a whole series of season review articles, which you can check out on the Raw. Um, I'll put the links in the description anyway. So there's about four of them, and I do kind of divide the season up into into categories. So I've got the championship battle, got the tail of the number twos, the f- battle between Ferrari and McLaren as well for third and the constructors, and kind of then the rest of the best as well. Um, and then and then Haas <laughs> kind of tacked on to the end there as well, given the kind of year that they had. So if you're after more thorough review and, and analysis and whatnot, please go check those out. Um, that would be real good. Got some uh, good attention, especially on the Verstappen versus Hamilton one. And yeah, it's it's been two weeks now, hasn't it, since since the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, since the fallout of um, the, the safety car call um, by race director Michael Mazzi. Just as I have a... Uh, rubbish truck driver outside, um, singing, I think, Whitney Houston, (laughs) quite, quite funny, quite funny indeed, um, it's been day to day, but yeah, it's been, it's been two weeks, I don't know if quite the, I don't know if the dust has quite settled yet, you know, there's still a lot going on, and, um, a lot of vitriol still, which has been, it's, it's very, it's very sad, is is all I can say without getting too worked up about it. And earlier this week, we had Nicholas Latifi issue a statement um, talking about this. You know, of course, first of all, apologising to the team for losing the opportunity to have a good result as he was fighting for for P14 ultimately or 13 in that race towards the end there. But then the amount of criticism the amount of hate that he received because ultimately it was his crash that triggered the safety car which made which saw the controversial call for lapped cars to unlap themselves only five of them and then the race was restarted on the final lap so we would have a last lap uh, shootout between Hamilton and Verstappen the amount of hate that Latifi has received it is honestly sickening you know to the point where you know, a lot of people obviously switch off platforms such as Twitter. They don't want to be involved in or, or even read the kind of comments that, that that come out. But, you know, it's it's something that uh, I think it was when I did an episode of Grid Talk with uh, Tom Downey from Everything F1 said something about, you know, Formula One fans 
fans in inverted commas seem to be the worst when it's uh, taught when they're talking about you know oh it used to be so much better back in the day and you know that sort of mentality I won't even say rose tinted glasses because in reality they would have, if, if social media existed back in, let's say, the 80s and 90s, where, where supposedly they had the glory days that they keep referring to, early 2000s as well, I'm sure we would have had just as much hate and bile going out. I'm sure that there would have been all the Schumacher critics coming out of the woodworm and, you know, giving giving him a lot of grief for, for his utter domination. So, it's just... You know, whether they're trolling or it's just a minority of people who are just eternally miserable and have nothing better to do, it's best to just stay clear of that, you know, and people who are like that, just just go, you know, if, if you don't like what you see in front of you in terms of the product that we have currently today, that is Formula One, then maybe it's not for you, you know. As even if you proclaim to love it or claim to love it, you know, maybe it's not for you. You need to try something else. And that's that's that, you know. I'll admit, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting here defending Formula One by all means. You know, I love the sport, but at the same time it's got its quirks, it's got its things that need to be improved as we've all, you know, across our various platforms, whether it's through your blogs or your podcasts, other shows and whatnot, have, and this is the key thing, you know, between this, between what we're trying to say and what the trolls are trying to say, is constructive criticism, you know, we still sit here I still sit here and admire the spectacle that we've seen this season overall, 2021. You know, the battle between Hamilton and and Verstappen and all the way down the grid, you know, or what we've seen. I admire that. There have been instances where I've been left pulling my hair out and other, you know, parts of my face, probably like ripping my beard off and all that. But... Never has it turned to the point where I begin hating on anyone in particular or saying, oh, you know, he's a effing this and, you know, like just, just going for low blows basically, you know. And this is where also I think with, with, with Lewis Hamilton in particular, um, people who have, uh, you know, come to his... Uh, I don't know, I shouldn't even say aid, he doesn't really need aid, but like, just come to his supposed defense and try to use the race card as well, you know, that, you know, he, the, the, he's been racially, um, you know, made to feel little or it's because of his, his color that he didn't win the world championship. That's a absolute load of bollocks, you know, absolute load of bollocks he is currently the best ambassador for the sport. He's done so much for raising awareness for many different causes over just the last two years alone. You know, when you look at, um, and I think back to even the start of 2020, when he was quite vocal with putting support to the devastation that was seen here in Australia for the um, through the bushfires and, you know, the, the animal lives that were lost and everything, you know, he, he donated and was quite vocal about that, donated a lot of money and was quite vocal in his support for, for that, you know, and all the, the humanitarian things he does too. So for people to then play the race card and say that, oh, you know, he was, he was wronged because of his color. That is absolute, (laughs) It's just, it's so stupid. So that's where, you know, I guess I draw the line um, between, you know, the people who, you know, let's say that we we sit down every week, we do a podcast, we we share our thoughts and we try to make it as as measured and as structured and as analytical as we can. Um, Those of us who do blogs or, or write articles and stuff like that, to those who are just absolutely throwing all sorts of hate towards, you know, whether it's 
throwing it towards Hamilton, throwing it towards Verstappen, throwing it towards Michael Massey in the FIA. It's absolutely ridiculous, you know, and that's something that I hope going into 2022, as much as, you know, I've, I've harped on about how going into the new season, the new technical regulations, the all new cars, that over the off season, the FIA, you know, under the, you know, new rule of the um, new president, uh, what's his name, Ben, Ben Sulayem, Mohammed Ben Sulayem, ex-rally car driver, I believe, that they sit down not only with, you know, the stewards and, and race control, Michael Massey, but also with the teams, with the drivers, and say, this is how it's going to be. No more of this lobbying or, you know, having a whinge on the radio mid-race to get your way. Let the race director do his job, and if he wasn't being harassed, you know, 110% of the time, then maybe he would actually do a good job. If he doesn't, then that's when you can decide, oh, well, you know, he's um, he's not fit for this job, you know, like I've said on previous shows. But apart from that needing to change, I think it's just the attitude of certain people, you know, obviously they're not going to listen or they're just going to call you out for, oh, you're, you're a hater, you know, you you just you know you know they just they don't even listen to themselves speak basically so you know they are the ones who need to change their attitude about what the sport is if you know they're not happy with what they see in the sport then well go watch something else take your hate and your bile and go pollute another sport or please don't because you know we I watch a lot of other motorsports and I don't need that sort of um, hate and attention being drawn elsewhere, you know, such as your MotoGP, your indie cars and, and supercars and whatnot. So just, just be gone with it, you know, just, just be gone with it, please. Anyway, rant over. Let's look at the season, talk about the, um, the racing and, and the politics and all that sort of thing. I think the politics kind of just culminated in, in what we saw in Abu Dhabi and even in, in Saudi Arabia when, or since Brazil really, you know, with, with the turn four incident and the precedent that was set. But, you know, the way it all began was very civil. You know, you've got to say it was very intense, but very civil. So, you know, Bahrain, the way um, Verstappen overtook off the track, but then gave the place back. So it was first blood to Hamilton, then immediately got um, payback there in Imola, um, asserting himself at the first corner, you know, that was a big statement, but also Imola was a statement from, from Hamilton as well, saying that, you know, not that, you know, he was going to give up or anything, but just how lucky he has been on so many instances to not have worse things happen. So, you know, he was, he crashed out, was a lap down, they had a red flag, and he ends up on back on the lead lap and finishes second on the podium. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the things that, you know, sometimes when, or after Abu Dhabi in particular, where people are like, oh, you know, Verstappen, he benefited from this and that, you know, you don't realise that how many instances Hamilton has been lucky as well, and there was another occasion, I think it was Hungary this year, where even though they made the strategic error on the on the red flag restart, coming out of the pits, he was on the intermediate tyres where everyone else was on slick tyres, um, he still came back to finish on the podium. So, you know, it was it was pretty nip and tuck from the beginning. Then, you know, while Red Bull had the quicker car in the opening rounds, Mercedes really outfoxed uh, them in terms of strategy. So the next two races there in Portimao and in, in Barcelona, two wins for Hamilton. Then we had to Monaco where Mercedes just had no, no idea where their pace was. It was around the time as well that the, the flexi-wing scenario was happening, um, where they couldn't really prove that Red Bull had a, a rear wing that was flexing um, under, you know, top speed or whatever to, to allow or to create less drag and, you know, increase the top speed. Um, not that it mattered at Monaco anyway, and it was a sensational drive there from Verstappen to, to win that day, his first Monaco Grand Prix win. 
Um, and then you look at Bottas and whatnot that day as well. He should have been able to capitalize on, you know, being the quicker Mercedes yet, you know, he ended up having a 48 hour pit stop or whatever and, um, retired from the race. And also Charles Leclerc, you know, it's, it's hard to remember even going back that far because this season has been so long, but he was the one who was on pole position and then crashed straight after his pole lap. Um, Ferrari elected not to take a gearbox penalty, uh, to put a fresh gearbox in, risked the car being okay for race day and then only not to start the race because on the outlap, um, his car was kaput. So, you know, Ferrari getting in there for a pole position around Monaco and it could have been a, a certain Monaco Grand Prix win as well. You know, the only win that they would have had this year so far, same story in Baku, they had pole for Leclerc, but didn't quite, um, uh, translate into race pace as, as such because you know in the early rounds Ferrari did really struggle with their race car you know they had tyre overheating issues as well which they rectified later on but I'll talk more McLaren and Ferrari in a bit but yeah it was quite interesting you know and that's where the whole you know unpredictable side of 2021 came in you know I think for me this year's probably been the best season since 2012. Um, as much as I love the Rosberg-Hamilton battles in 2014 and 2016, I think this has been by far the closest season in comparison to 2012, where, you know, 2012 we had, what, seven different winners in the first seven races. We didn't quite get that this year, but we did get, you know, multiple different winners. We got winners from teams that haven't won for a long time. Um, we had first-time winners again in the likes of Esteban Ocon. Um, and, yeah, just the way the driver representation on the podium as well. So we had, what, 13 drivers on the podium this year, and that's from seven or eight different teams, which is incredible. So... It's been so f most, you know, it is by far been the most um, interesting season in that respect and just goes to show, you know, the, the talent that's on the grid at the moment, you know, what they can do and so good to see in that respect. Um, and speaking of Baku, so Baku kind of, you know, the first um, flashpoint, as you could say, not directly between Hamilton and Verstappen, but one of those moments where... Um, one of those moments that was defining with, with the way that the race unfolded. So have Max on for, you know, what would have been a certain win, although with six laps to go has that spectacular tire failure. Um, and then Hamilton, you know, could have capitalized and taken a 20, 25 points on the day, 26, possibly if he had the fastest lap only to botch his opportunity and uh, missing his breaking point at the turn one restart. It was something to do with the magic button being left on or something like that. So, you know, that allowed Perez, Sergio Perez, to come in and take the win that day. So weird points for, for Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship, but nothing really in terms of uh, the the championship because both drivers finished with, with zero points on the day. So, you know, had Max won that and... Um, and Lewis finished a certain second. If if it if that tire blowout didn't happen at the end there, then it would have been a different different ending to to Abu Dhabi, or you know they would have come in not on equal points. You know, so there's a lot that happened in the build up. So then you have the three races that Max go on to dominate from pole, um, France, and then the two races in Austria. And France was probably one of my favorite Verstappen drives. You know, it was, it was Red Bull saying to Mercedes, Hey, you know, that thing you did to us in, in Portimao and Barcelona, and then in Hungary two years ago as well, I can do that too. And we are. So the way that Max then came back on a two-stop strategy to round out, or to round up both Mercedes was was great, and then yeah, it was utter domination that day. Same story in the two races in Austria as well. So he had a great lead, you know, thirty was it thirty three points or something he led by going into the British Grand Prix where the gloves really came off. I think <laughs> that weekend, um, Hamilton of course in front of his home crowd. Um, it was the first weekend of the, the sprint as well, which, you know, 
bit of a bit of a lukewarm. Um, like initially, my thoughts after Silverstone was, oh yeah, I could, I could, I could play this sprint game. You know, it's it's not too bad. Monza, yeah, and then. You know, by the time we got to Brazil, it was just like, eh, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's adds an extra dimension for sure, but it's not really blowing my socks off here. So we'll see how it goes in 2022 when they've got six sprint rounds over the weekend. But Hamilton was fastest on Friday during qualifying, only for Verstappen to beat him in the sprint to pole position ultimately. So doing the better doing the better sprint race, I should say, and then that would have left Hamilton pretty, pretty unhappy, of course, and then um, heading into the race, that's where, you know, through the opening corners, they go wheel to wheel, and then they get to cops, and then the Red Bull's in the barrier, and I did write about this, saying that, you know, Cynic's and I'm pointing to a certain broadcasting channel from the UK, <laughs> Sky Sports F1, um, coming into Abu Dhabi, argued and said so many times that Verstappen should have yielded going into cops. You know, he should have thought about his 33-point lead that he had and just let Hamilton go. That's not who Verstappen is. That's not who any driver who aspires to be world champion and to win every single race that he can will think, you know. I mean, looking back at it, Hamilton missed the apex. He could have bailed as well, but he wasn't going to let go either. He wanted to take the lead off Verstappen. This is his home race. This is his fortress, Silverstone. Um, He wasn't going to let it go either, so... To, to blame, you know, one another, it was kind of where the start of where the fan bases started to collide as well, and then, you know, Sky getting involved with, you know, saying, oh, you know, Verstappen should have yielded, yada, yada, yada. You know, Max was okay, which was good, Hamilton even asked on the radio as long as he was okay, um, but it was another zero-point race for Max, and that 33-point that... It, 33-point lead that he had was cut down only to eight points, um, with Hamilton coming back to win the race, even though he had a time penalty too, so, you know, Leclerc on his way, I think he was like six laps from winning the race, and then, um, Hamilton comes, passes him at Cops, and I think Leclerc kind of just bailed at Cops as well, knowing that, you know, that's where Verstappen, uh, and, and the Mercedes came to blows, so he didn't want to lose what would have been a certain podium finish, but, um, yeah, you know, not only there, and then, and then in Budapest as well, this time through no fault of his own, being pinballed out of the race by Valtteri Bottas at turn one, and then for Hamilton to then survive that strategic blunder, you know, that um, Mercedes did on the restart to come back and finish second, I mean, it was like, if 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 there wasn't a luckier driver on the grid, I think, you know, there's no luckier driver on the grid, basically, than, than Lewis Hamilton, I think. I'm not saying, oh, he's just, it's, he's been successful just purely on luck or whatever, but he has survived so many close shaves and whatnot, so, you know, that was another one where he he ended up coming back, finishing on the podium, uh, nonetheless, you know, and went into the summer break with an eight-point lead, who would have thought after Verstappen was 33 points ahead, um, you know, then coming out of the season break, you know, the Belgian Grand Prix, what a fast that was, and then hearing today, actually, that the, um, that F1 is not going to be offering refunds for the fans that were there, instead they're going to get some, what do you call it, the F1 TV subscription and, and some raffle they go into to win some prizes, that's pretty poor, considering, uh, for supercars, the Sydney, the Sydney race that was cancelled, they did um, end up refunding the tickets straight away, so that's that's pretty poor form from F1 in that respect, but, you know, getting half points from there, um, if they did go on to do a full race, and, and Max would have most likely won, you know, given his form and everything, and then making a statement there at the Dutch Grand Prix as well, doing what Hamilton does at his 
home race, but instead it's uh, Max doing it in Zandvoort. And so good to see Zandvoort back as well. I mean, I think Zandvoort, for a lot of people, would have been a favourite race this season, unless you're, you know, one of those complaining fans who... Uh, <laughs> let's not go into that. Um, who don't like the Dutch driver. Um, it was one of those races where the atmosphere was electric. It was like being at a festival and whatnot. And then just, yeah, you know, everyone chanting Max. <laughs> and I can just hear Super Max in my head now. Max, Max, Max. Um, so that was a big statement. Though... The frustrations boiling over in Monza on lap 26, you know, there was some opening um, opening lap exchanges between the two, but I think, as we said at the time, as I said at the time, this one kind of solely on Max, you know, this this instance where he just, he just got a moment of rage, did, did a rage quit and took Hamilton with him as well. Um, and that image of the Red Bull uh, sitting on top of the Mercedes, I think, will be the defining image of 2021, you know, because of the, the lens that each driver has gone to to win, you know, the uncompromising uh, lens that they've gone to, you know, and Hamilton was given that three, sorry, Verstappen was given a three-place grid penalty for Sochi the next race, I think, you know, all things considered, it was quite a lenient penalty in that respect. Um, but yeah, you know, it was one of those things where, as a professional racing driver, you don't do. Yet, as a human being, it's so easy to to have those moments where you just you you've got all this frustration pent up. And I'm not saying this is not an excuse for what happened and I'm not trying to justify it in any way. I'm just saying that, you know, in that moment you or I would probably feel the same way. How many times whilst playing, you know, I know it's chalk and cheese to compare it to a video game, but how many times that you would you're frustrated and you end up crashing into someone um as as payback kind of thing and you know what max said on the radio straight after it's like well that's what you get for not giving the space you know that's that's kind of that's what it felt like to me so it was one of those moments that yeah it's it's going to be a defining one but hey it allowed daniel ricardo and mclaren to go on and win that day so that was and and mclaren to be the only team in 2021 to have a one-two finish i think that was sensational i really liked that part so um but apart from that not good for for both the championship rivals um but Max doing the damage limitation thing, heading into the next rounds, um, obviously in Sochi, having to take that grid penalty as well for new power unit, um, and Hamilton won, obviously, there, um, and then Turkey saw Valtteri Bottas win, and Verstappen finished second again, so quite quite good for him, um, whilst Hamilton finished fifth. Then another couple of wins for Max heading across the Atlantic there in um, Texas and in Mexico as well, um, as well as Hamilton finishing behind him to keep the points pretty close. And then, yeah, you come into the final four races, Brazil, you know, what a weekend that was for Hamilton. And I think one of his best weekends, complete weekends in the sport, you know, it is the hallmark of a world champion to do what he did, you know, to not only be disqualified from qualifying, but then have that 10-place grid penalty. So, you know, he was disqualified from qualifying on Friday, which meant he had to start the sprint on the Saturday from the back of the grid, raced his way up to like fifth or fourth or something, and then cop another five-place grid penalty for an engine change. You know, so, and then from 10th in the actual Grand Prix on Sunday, go on to win the the race, you know, despite the incident there at turn four, but with, with, with Verstappen on lap 48. So it also, I guess, you know, you can raise an eyebrow or two over the pace that Mercedes had found in these later rounds. And, you know, I think 
a lot of it has to do with the the um, engine upgrades that they brought um, they certainly just had the power advantage over the Honda um, that was powering the Red Bull at the time Red Bull in those last races had to compromise downforce for having you know more drag or less drag I should say to to be faster you know and not having as much downforce probably made their car through the corners not as good as the Mercedes but you know Max finishing P2 in Sao Paulo in Qatar and in Saudi as well while Hamilton goes on to win um, with further controversy there in in Saudi as well Um, it was quite intense and then here we are on level points <laughs> in Abu Dhabi and you know after Saudi with with what happened with um the supposed brake check brake testing or whatever um and the call from Michael Massey we we end up with the same situation although worse in Abu Dhabi with um with Massey's interpretation of uh, you know the safety car restart not pleasing pretty much the whole world but yeah like I said last week though when we were looking at the Abu Dhabi race in hindsight you know and this is with with the benefit of hindsight Mercedes should have just pitted Hamilton under the safety car just to ensure that any threat that they would have had from Max on the restart if you know even if he was behind those five cars, um, he might have still had a chance to, to do some overtaking on that lap to, to go on and win. It would have just given them that safety net. But, you know, Mercedes' whole argument is that, you know, they, they were robbed and, and this and that, and they still doing the same thing and whatnot. They didn't go to the prize giving and all that sort of stuff. So, I don't know. I don't know. At the end of the day, the better driver, I think, won the championship this year. Verstappen has had the most complete season he's had since he came into the sport in 2015. It's hard to think that he's been in the sport since 2015. He was only 17 years old when he made his debut. And, you know, seeing him, it was a kid (laughs) at the Australian Grand Prix in 2015 making his debut for Toro Rosso. And now at 24, he's, he's world champion. Um, it is, it is quite fascinating, and, you know, seeing that interview there with, um, with Ziggo, uh, Sport, um, a few days ago, where he was watching his, his own race win, or his own championship win, and, and went into tears, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing you want to see, you know, and the respect between the two drivers, I think, hasn't changed, you know, and Hamilton and, and Toto Wolff and Mercedes acknowledge, Max as the world champion, but it's more so with the FIA that their gripe lies. And as I've already said, we've got to make, we've got to look at it for next year. We've got to make some changes with the way that the adjudication is done. You know, there's got to be more clarity in understanding, there's got to be more clarity in the rules. You know, it needs to be black and white. You need to have consistency with your stewarding, whether it's keeping the same panel of stewards for the entire season. I don't know. But they've got to sort it out for next year because we don't want a similar instance to leave a bad taste in our mouths for next year because, you know, Formula One doesn't need more damage that was done in the last few races of this year because, as I said, it's been one of the greatest seasons since 2012 and maybe one of the greatest seasons of of all time you know so anyway we'll leave it at that you know um between the top guys um with your with your number two drivers um (laughs) uh Bottas and and um Sergio Perez sorry I had a bit of a blank there so Red Bull coming into this season with Checo on their books um having no faith in either Pierre Gasly or Alex Salmon which is very sad given that they are products of the Red Bull Academy how do you rate Checo's season even though you know he was brought in to to basically win the Constructors World Championship 
Well, if that's the case, then you could say it was a definite fail because they didn't win the Constructors' Championship and they did lose by quite a bit. Um, but Checo has put in some pretty good performances through the season. He has put through put together one of his most successful campaigns in Formula One. He was able to win... Um, win in Baku amongst the shambles. He got his first ever podium on home soil in Mexico City as well. It was a good run of podiums that he got um, there between Turkey and Mexico, three consecutive for the Mexican driver. But overall, he has been quite inconsistent compared to Bottas, who who I guess was his direct comparison when you when you think about it, you know, and Bottas has got his own critics this year. Um, he obviously ended up out of a drive from Mercedes after six, uh, six, five or six successful seasons, you know, with by winning the Constructors' Championship. Um, but for, for Checo, I guess, next year they've, they're going in to next year with a consistent driver lineup. You know, it's going to be the two same drivers. So surely a result has got to come in the Constructors' Championship for them because otherwise then you've got to ask questions of uh, Checo because he's great. At, he's a great race driver. You know, he does well with uh, preserving the tyres. He'll get you the result on race day. But at times it is the qualifying performances that see him nowhere and has to rather than starting in the top five or in the top, you know, or higher with the championship rivals. He has to start from outside the top 10, make his way into the top 10, which he does. But by that time, the top two guys are already out of their already out of his pit window. So Red Bull can't really do anything strategically with that. So in that sense, um, you can say that Perez came up short in applying the same consistency as Bottas. But for Bottas as well, you know, you could say was, was there's arguments, you know, was his, was his time at Mercedes overall a failure? I mean, if his goal was to win the World Championship, then for sure. But then there's other people who are going to say, um, well, who thought that Bottas would have won the championship anyway? Mercedes after... Rosberg and Hamilton come into blows, they would have just wanted to have a harmonious partnership and, and let Hamilton go on and, and get all the success he wanted. So in that sense, it's been good, and Hamilton is obviously going to miss Bottas next year. Depends on, you know, what, what kind of um, role George Russell plays next to next to the senior Brit next year. But um, Bottas has been great. He was able to win a race there in Turkey from pole, so that was an excellent drive for him you know he's been on the podium so many times this season you know it's always him Hamilton and Verstappen on the podium together I think they've broken the record as well of how many times that trio has been on the podium together so yeah good on them and eighth consecutive constructors championship for Mercedes so you know that's never been done either before in Formula One so yeah that's how I summarize that um I guess when you're talking about Checo still Perez in my eyes still performed better than the likes of Gasly and Albon in that second Red Bull seat you know towards the end of the season he was getting a bit more confident to uh, make his own setups and whatnot for, for the car, volatile car as it is. And hopefully next year that will mean that he um, can take his car in the direction he wants to so he can get the most out of it. Whereas we didn't see Gasly and Albon do this at all. And, you know, despite some of their good qualifying performances, they could not get the race. Um, sorry, they couldn't get the race uh performance out of it so yes that's those two mclaren versus ferrari oh my god it's been so long since you could say that these two have battled even though it was for third in the constructors championship it was so interesting um and at the end of the day i think the better team as it pains me to say won this one you know as, as you all know I'm a McLaren diehard wanted McLaren to finish third in the constructor constructors but they just didn't have the consistency 
or on one side of the garage, they didn't have the consistency. Yes, I'm looking at you, Daniel Ricciardo, as sad as it is. You know, he did go on to win the race um, in Monza. You know, McLaren's first win since 2012. First 1-2 for McLaren since 2010. But it's the consistency that we saw from Carlos Sainz and from Charles Leclerc that ultimately brought them that result. Like, Sainz... Who would have thought that he would be on for fifth in the Drivers' Championship all year? He got that in the final race and beat Lando by four and a half points, ultimately. So, And that's where I think, you know, it was going to be a bit of an interesting prospect coming into this year that you've got Sainz leaving McLaren going over to Ferrari. And Sainz and Norris have been sensational as a team together, Ricardo coming in, what the dynamic would be like and everything, you know, McLaren did go back to Mercedes engines as well this year, so, you know, you would have thought that they would have had a boost in power, um, given they finally sorted out their chassis thing, their chassis situation, but ultimately, yeah, it was, um, the consistency between Leclerc and Sainz, you know, qualifying in Noah's Ark formation quite often, um, while Ricardo would end up, you know, not even making it out of Q2 most of the time, um, and having to let Lando do most of the heavy lifting, and Lando just had, you know, his best season in F1, probably could have been better at times, but that's just you know, that's the young guy for you, you know, he's still learning, he's gonna, if McLaren can produce a strong car next year, he can be a race winner, and I still feel heartbroken, along with all the Lando Norris fans, for Russia this year, you know, it was inexperience, I guess, that, you know, came to that decision not to pit, you know, and then Hamilton goes on, wins the race, blah, 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 but yeah, it was so painful, and I hope that, you know, Lando does, you know, in the off-season, get to put that all behind him, and comes back with the same mentality that he had in the first half of, of 2021, you know, his podiums there in, in Mon- um, sorry, not Bonza, but Imola in, in Monaco as well, with the golf livery, that was amazing, podium again in Austria, and then, you know, finishing behind his teammate in Monza, you know, that's the kind of performances we want, and then he can do one better, he's been so good in qualifying, he's been so good in the races, I'm sure we're going to see Lando Norris win a race next year, and same with Carlos Sainz too, I think he's not too far away from being able to win his first Grand Prix, and doing it for Ferrari as well will be quite special, and you know, that's the thing about science is that he's just such an underrated driver. He has been throughout his whole career because, you know, when he came into the sport, he was teammate to Max Verstappen and eyes were all on Verstappen when they were at Toro Rosso together. Then, you know, when he went off to, to Renault, he, Nico Hulkenberg was kind of the alpha dog and science kind of forgotten about until he got his, you know, reprieve there at McLaren when Ricardo decided to go over to to Renault because he thought Renault was going to be the better team but then what Sainz and Norris did together at McLaren really put McLaren back on the map along with the rest of the team you know with James Key coming in as technical director Andreas Seidel um, Andreas Steller as well stepping up within the team too you know he's been in the sport for quite some time Um, all under the guidance of Zach Brown too so you know and that's what made McLaren attractive for for Ricardo to then come over a couple of years later when science goes off to Ferrari so you know (coughs) sorry at the end of the day I like what Ferrari have done I like what they've done with their um, driver lineup Leclerc is such a great driver and if anything this year you know even though he finished a couple of places down from um, his teammate he has driven without the weight of the world on him, being the lead Ferrari driver, I think he's going to come back stronger next year, he had his two pole positions, he had the one podium there at Silverstone, a race which, you know, if Hamilton didn't, you know, barrel it down at Cops or whatever, he could have won as well, potentially, um, so that's a combination that is worth looking forward to, and it, it all comes down to whether they can nail the new regulations or not, 
I hope not for the sake of being, you know, McLaren fan and all that, but um, you know, they've they've got to for for their sake because they're last championship win as I like to keep rubbing it into Ferrari fans going back to 2007 and the driver who won that has now uh, retired you know at the end of this year in Kimi Raikkonen so you know they've for all that they boast and it's not because I dislike I just purely dislike Ferrari it's the fact that Everything they boast, you know, is that they should be winning world championships year in and year out. They should be winning races. They should be at the top of the Formula One, but they're not. They've got too much internal politicking going on. The management structure has been flawed for so long now. And, um, you know, the rumors even about possibly Jean Todd now that he's stepped down from FIA president that he could be going back there. Um, it, it could possibly be could possibly be blocked by um, Stellantis, who who are the owners of the Fiat Corporation now. So who knows, because of the way in which he left um, um, all those years ago. So, you know, for that, it's quite interesting. Who knows what will happen there? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, I can't wax lyrical enough about the, the driver lineup. I just, yeah, you know... They've done such a good job. For Ricardo, it's going to be a make-or-break season, really, next year. You know, he's... I mean, he came good in his second season at Renault, you know, after after such a disappointing first campaign. But given his profile, he's, a, he's an eight-time race winner. He has driven for some... You know, he's driven for Red Bull and whatnot. You know, he's proved that he can fight at the front of the grid... He needs to get his qualifying act together. He needs to come into the season being at one with the car because, you know, it shouldn't have taken him this long to to adapt to this car. You know, everyone thought after Monza that, you know, he's finally unlocked what he needs to from that car. Then yet he goes on to, like, have only three more points finishes after his, his Monza win. So it, that was quite disappointing for him to end the season, you know, and finishing a drift of those guys fighting for fifth in the championship and then ultimately for McLaren 48.5 points behind Ferrari in the constructors championship so you know it's it's got to be make or break next year for him um sadly as as much as we all love him the likable Aussie and everything he's got to really get his uh his performances on track to talk because otherwise it's not going to be good for him in the future and I I got the feeling you know Zach Brown will be looking at Patrizio Award Pato Award who did the the postseason young driver test in Abu Dhabi he was smiling from from ear to ear with his Formula One debut that you know he could very well be in a McLaren car come 2023 so you know that would be that would be such a great lineup, him and uh, Lando Norris together. So yeah, Ricardo's just got to step it up for for twenty twenty two. And what do we say then about the rest? You know, um, and that's you know only just kind of the front half of the field. But this year saw probably one of the most tightly knit midfields. Um, and you know, a lot of it has to do with them carrying over the last year's specification of car and, you know, the teams that are normally strapped for cash didn't have to invest as much this year, which, you know, is, is a good sign going into the future with, you know, the budget cap and everything and the engine freeze as well. That'll come in, um, next year. So hopefully we do get to see a tighter midfield, um, First of all, you know, hats off to Williams for the season that they had, um, but also, you know, condolences for, for the loss of Sir Frank Williams. I'm sure he would have been proud of the the turnaround of his team, you know, even though it's not his team anymore, um, under Doralton Capital, under Jost Capito as well, to come back and finish eighth in the championship. They had that podium, you know, a trophy still a trophy, you know, um, for from the Belgian Grand Prix, even though it was a non-event. Um, first ever trophy for George Russell there in F1 as well, and he'll be graduating to Mercedes next year. But, you know, for Nicholas Latifi as well to um, really turn around his fortunes and, you know, not be seen just as a pay driver, I really hope that next year with, with Albon 
next to him that he can really show himself so he can earn another year at the Williams team. I don't think Latifi's the kind of driver that I would, you know, want to sign elsewhere, you know, further up the grid or anything. He doesn't have those prospects about him unless he changes. But, you know, he can be a solid operator to um, continue taking Williams in the right direction. So really happy with the way that Williams have performed this season. You know, him, Latifi in particular, getting points finishes as well. Um, Two of them, in fact, you know, they're in uh, Hungary and then in Belgium. And there was such a nice moment there in Hungary, even when when Latifi restarted the race and he was, you know, in the top three positions and... George George saying on the radio, whatever you guys need to do, we need to make sure Nicky gets a good finish, um, even compromising his own race, Russell's own race, to, to make sure that if there was a chance at a podium that they would do that. Um, so good on Williams for that. Alpine, you know, Esteban Ocon, a year ago we were all questioning as to whether the hype around him was justifiable you know and given that he had spent a year out of the sport it was a bit of a difficult return for him in 2020 with with Renault but then he executed one of the best drives here of the year I would say um you know and also proving the the old adage of being in the right place at the right time um yields a good result and that was what happened at the Hungarian Grand Prix you know, he survived the turn, the first corner bowling ball match that was going on. He was right in behind Hamilton when the race restarted. And then when Hamilton was on the wrong tyres, Ocon inherits the lead and basically led the whole Grand Prix and had a bit of help from his teammate Alonso when Hamilton was making a comeback. Um, to which, you know, uh, Ocon repaid the favour there and, and the Qatar Grand Prix so that Alonso could finish on the podium. Esteban defended like a lion. It's going to be one of the quotes to take away from this year. Um, So, you know, that was such a great drive. And for him to become a Grand Prix winner, you know, it fully justifies, you know, the talent of this guy who, you know, let's be fair, you know, he, he beat Verstappen in the junior formulas as well. You know, a lot of people saying, oh, you know, Verstappen's never won a um, a championship on his way to F1 or whatever. And one of those championships he did lose to, to Esteban Ocon. So, you know, for Ocon to, to get that result and for him to be locked in there at Alpine for years to come as well is really good. While I think Alonso as well, it was good to see Alonso back, um, you know, even though it wasn't fighting for wins and for podiums regularly, just his racecraft is to be in awe, in awe of, you know, and getting the points finishes he has all season, he's been quite consistent, only to the, you know, maximum of the car and even to beyond the maximum limits of the car as well. Um, Ocon doing a good job as well as Alonso, but Ocon finishing just behind him in the championship there, and so good to see Fernando back on the podium, I think, as well in Qatar, it's been so, 2014, the last time he was on the podium there, at the Hungarian Grand Prix for Ferrari, so, you know, whether that next win will come in F1, who knows, but I think, you know, chasing down the target of um, 100 career podiums in F1, which is only two podiums away from his... uh, very, very possible for him in his latest stint in F1, and, you know, for all the love and support that I have for Oscar Piastri as well, you know, I really hope that a seat frees up at Alpine for him in 2023, so he can make his Formula 1 debut, and it'll be good to see the reigning F2 champion um, in the garage next year, and doing the reserve driver role, but, you know, at the same time, if Alonso finds some form, it's going to be fun to watch him uh, for another couple of years. But, you know, I think Alonso has achieved all he needs to in F1. And if he can get to 100 career podiums, that would be fantastic. Ultimately, though, with Alpine, it's not what you would expect um, from a manufacturer team, I'd say. You know, to, to finish fifth in the championship, you know more than 100 points behind two other manufacturers in in Ferrari and McLaren, or McLaren not really a a manufacturer or works team with with their own engine, but you know what I mean. Um, 
you know, Alpine had this interesting battle with AlphaTauri all season, and I seriously would have thought that AlphaTauri would have easily beaten Alpine given the performance of their car, but that all comes down to, I guess, the performance of their rookie driver in Yuki Tsunoda, you know, not being up to scratch for most of the season, but I'm glad for the youngster that he's kind of bookended his season with some good results, you know, scoring points there in Bahrain to start off and then getting a career best fourth place finish there in Abu Dhabi um, off the back of a great qualifying performance too. Um, hopefully next year it'll get better for him because, you know, the the Red Bull young driver stocks are really just quite dry and, you know, I think who's the next best guy I can think of, is it Deruvula or, or Jack Doohan, who now moves up to F2, the, the son of the MotoGP legend, uh, Australian legend in Mick Doohan, so, you know, they, they're going to really need Sonoda to, to step it up, and, you know, Gasly again, one of the drivers of the season, you've got to say, it's just almost expected of him now that every year he's going to do well, and while he's in that really good Alpha Tauri team where, you know, he's got the team built around him. Going over to Red Bull when he did, I guess it was it was a bit underbaked, underprepared, and to, to step into someone else's team where, you know, that's moulded around Verstappen, I don't think it, he really relishes that that kind of or flourishes in that kind of environment. Whereas, you know, being in a team where he's the leader, he can he can get the results for you, and, you know, the podium in Baku kind of summarizes that, you know, so he's had three podiums in the last three years now with this team, which has been good, and overall, AlphaTauri actually secured their best ever um, points haul for the year, too, since, they've, since they came into the sport as Toro Rosso, so that's really impressive, too, for those guys, but yeah, for Sonoda, look, Earlier in the season, I was a lot more critical. I was saying, you know, he's, he came into Formula 1 underbaked. He should have had another year in F2, but because, you know, it was Honda's final year in the sport, they wanted some Japanese representation on the grid. Um, you know, but yeah, you know, hopefully he improves for next year. And, you know, I think what was more disappointing than Sonoda's performances really was the underwhelming transformation um, from Racing Point to Aston Martin this year, you know, and this is no criticism in, in any means to the commitment that they've um, put in from Lawrence Stroll, the heavy investment as well um, from Stroll Senior can be can only be lauded, but the, the track performances really left little to be desired. It was pretty, pretty uh, um, under par, and yes, they were quite hurt by the um, the little tweaks to the floor that they had to do this year for the 2020 uh, carryover car, um, them running that Mercedes low rate concept or whatever, or high rate, I can't tell the difference really, <laughs> um, that obviously not uh, really working well with the modifications to the floor this year and the current spec of Pirelli tyre, still for Sebastian Vettel, you know, he he put in some, he gave us some entertainment, you know, whether it was with his press conferences or with his interviews, finishing on the podium in, in Baku, getting a trophy for the team, like he would have had a trophy there in, in Hungary if it wasn't for being disqualified for a fuel infringement at the end of the race, but, um, you know, he certainly... I hope can turn the team around for next year if they hit the ground running because, you know, we want to see Seb Vettel succeed. Otherwise, I think, you know, his career will certainly finish on a bit of a but a bit of a whimpering note, you've got to say. Lance Stroll, though, sadly, I guess couldn't really capture the same form that he did last year, you know, in which, you know, he was on the podium, he, he got a pole position as well. He was in the points, but, you know, best best finish of only six there in, in Qatar and that was just down to being in the right place at the right time as well with um with doing a pit stop under the red flag so doing what he did last year in, in Monza basically so um yeah not really much to say about uh, about Stroll Jr in this sense but um you know Aston Martin really just fighting they really fought just with themselves this year for for seventh or eighth in the constructors championship it was seventh indeed, yeah, because there was a big gap behind them to, to Williams and to Alfa Romeo. Williams already mentioned them. Congratulations on them for their result, and I'm looking forward to, you know, um, 
seeing what they do next year with Latifi and Albon together. Um, Alfa Romeo, they were pretty, pretty underwhelming, you know, just the car in, in general, you know, Kimi, I guess he knew all along that this would be his last year, so he didn't really give a hoot what, what he was going to do, um, eighth was his best finish, and then he even missed a couple of races because he had COVID, so not, not being able to do the Dutch Grand Prix, and Monza as well, good, good effort from Robert Kubitzer, who stood in, um, 15th and 14th for him in those two races, and then Antonio Giovinazzi, who just, <laughs> he just underwhelmed in, in, a, in, in a subpar car, mind you, and, you know, when he happened to put in a great um, qualifying performance, he ended up, you know, just making mistake, ma- making mistakes in the race. And, you know, Mons is a good example of that one too. So, you know, he's off to Formula E next year. You know, if he does end up coming back to F1, um, hopefully he can do a bit better. He is going to be Ferrari's reserve driver next year along with Mick Schumacher. But I really don't think that... Um, there's going to be any kind of uh, second chance for Antonio um, in the future unless he does really well in Formula E and changes our minds in that instance. And then <laughs> we conclude with Haas, and there's really not much to say about Haas. I mean, Mick Schumacher's transition into Formula 1, you know, as it is with every single junior category he's contested, you know, the first season is always the learning season, you know, he's had a few crashes, had a few instances, but otherwise he's been pretty consistent with finishing the races, unlike his teammate Nikita Mazepin, but um, you would think that, you know, having saved money this year, and going into next year with the new regulations, and having the budget cap as well on performance, that they would be a bit more competitive, and they can score some points here or there, if that's not the case, then you've really got to ask some questions about whether Gene Haas is really committed to the sport. And, you know, there's been a lot of jokes and, and talk about that this year, you know, with especially the um, increased investment there from from the Russians and from um, Aspen Senior. So, you know, it's certainly one of those things that um, will be brought into the limelight heading into next year. So that's about it then, you know, to, to sum up the season in ad lib, you've got to say. I mean, got some reference here in front of me, but not not, not, a, quite, not a great deal of it. Um, I'm really eager to see um, or hear your thoughts on it if you want to get in touch via Twitter at the Apex Media. Um, you can do reviews on Spotify now or give a, a rating on Spotify for podcasts too. So please, you know, um, give us a rating too. That would be much appreciated. And then same with Apple Podcasts as well. Any any feedback is appreciated. Positive, you know, probably more so than negative. But anyway, if you want to, if you want to abuse me, go for it. It's not the first time it's happened. Um, but not, not with a podcast, but just in general, but otherwise, yeah, what a, what a year it's been. And, you know, before I sign off, I do want to, you know, give make some honourable mentions, you know, of course. You know, shout out to um, my mate Joshua Kerr, who did do a guest appearance for me this year on this show. So thank you for again for coming on. Hopefully maybe be next year we can do some more. And just overall, me, you know, should do some more guests, um, get some more guests on as well. I'm quite lazy with um, reaching out and organising this sort of thing. And it's always a difficulty with um, time zone disparities as well. And, you know, that's going on to the next um, big shout out. And that's to F1 Chronicle and the Grid Talk podcast as well. A big thank you for allowing me to come on this year and contribute to to the podcast um, wherever. It's been great fun. Um, I will hopefully next year get to do some more, you know, despite the time zone disparities as well. It was easier when I was in lockdown and not having to go to work on a Monday morning um, that I could do race reviews and stuff, but I think I'll just have to stick to to qualifying reviews and other things as well, um, other projects that they're hoping to get on the ground. So, yeah, big shout-out to the team there at F1 Chronicle and Grid Talk. Um, And again, for all you listeners as well, thank you so much. I think, you know, the last two months in terms of um, listenership has been the best ever for, for this podcast. So I hope to 
continue getting some, you know, good feedbacks and go on the upward trajectory because, you know, if it wasn't for that, then, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to continue doing this. <laughs> um, I think everyone draws, draws the line, you know, at some point, but, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some, some positive steps and, you know, hopefully 2022 with the new regulations, a lot more racing, um, we can hit the ground running. Uh, I haven't figured out yet what my schedule will be for, for how I record and whatnot. That's things that I think about generally over the off season, but, um, you know, I do need some, need some rest. So yeah, we'll leave it at that on that note. Um, but I'd like to wish everyone a safe and happy holidays, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Um, I'm still going to be, you know, around, so feel free to, to reach out via the, the usual means. Um, they're all on the link tree, and I will throw in the link to the articles that I did for my season reviews as well. But other than that, guys, stay safe, take care of each other, and um, please no hate, you know, only love. Thanks. See you next year.